invite you with the next few moments to engage a very personal story that's a but God story, but by the grace of God's story in Micah chapter 4. We'll pick up in verse 6. And the reason I think you and I, this is worthy of our time is because it could be written today. This could be a but God story for you and I right here, right now in 2021. Although this occurred thousands of years ago, it is extremely relevant today. You see, what I see, what we have journeyed through thus far in the book of Micah is I see a people that had drifted far from God, but God. I saw a people who had lost all moral compass in their life to the point that they were willing to abuse and use others for their gain, but God. I see a people that not only destroyed their relationship with God Himself as they drifted away from Him, but they ended up destroying their relationships with one another. Their community was broken down. But we see a story, but God. I see a people, as we've mentioned before, that made a mess of their lives, and their lives are a sitting pile of ashes because of their own choices, but God. And the truth is, I don't know if you can relate to this or not, I believe that this but God story could be filled in the blank by us too, right? Amen. I don't look at the people of God and pass judgment because I could be them. I could make those same kinds of choices and my life too could end up in a pile of ashes by the choices I am choosing in the life I'm, I'm leading at times. I too can drift away from Christ, can we not? But here's the great news, is that Christ can redeem any life that is willing out of the ashes, out of the hopelessness that we see and don't have in and of ourselves. He can do a redemptive work every single time if you and I are willing. You see, Christ is both willing and able that's not the question. The question is, are you and I willing? So that's the question I only want you to ask yourself today, if you will. And I'll ask myself, am I really, I mean, really, come on, really willing? Willing to place my faith in Christ to that degree and follow where He leads, that I can see Him restore what is broken down and what is ashes to something that He desires and only He can do. And don't answer that question now. Why? Because I want you and I to see what's involved from His Word. I want you and I to see the journey we got to be willing to take before we can answer the question, yes, I am willing to follow Christ, Christ where He leads. Now look at what Micah said to his people as they're surrounded by the Assyrian army. They know that their walls are about to come down. Their, their security they have set up for themselves is about to be taken out from under them. Life is not going to be the same. And they are going to be sitting in a pile of ashes because of the choices they've been making over a long period of time that have culminated in this moment. And this is what God said through the prophet in that moment, in the midst of the chaos. Here's what he said, verse 6. In that day, notice he says, declares the Lord. This is not Micah, this is God speaking. In that day, declares the Lord, I will gather the lame. He's talking about his own people. I will assemble the exiles and those I have brought to grief. 
I will make the lame my remnant, those driven away a strong nation. The Lord will rule over them in Mount Zion from that day and forever. As for you, watchtower of the flock, stronghold of the daughter of Jerusalem, the former dominion will be restored to you. Kingship will come to the daughter of Jerusalem. Why do you now cry aloud? Have you no king? Has your ruler perished that pain seizes you like a woman in labor? That's some intense pain. Wreathe in agony, he says, daughter Zion, like a woman in labor, for now you must leave the city to camp in the open field. You will go up to Babylon. There you will be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you out of the hands of your enemies. Now let's look at what, where we start when it comes to allowing Christ to redeem something out of the ashes, to bring victory, so to speak, out of those ashes. And I want you to know that the very first words out of Micah's mouth, inspired by God, verse 6, is in that day. Very similar words to what we looked at just last week in, last week in verse 1 when he said, in the last days. You see, both of those, those phrases are prophetic in nature. They're used in the prophetic literature, and it's pointing to a promise of a coming Messiah, this Messiah leader that will accomplish all that has been stated within these verses. And of course, standing where we're standing, most of us anyway, that have placed our faith in Christ, we know that that Messiah is who? None other than Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is who will enable your life to overcome anything in the past. Jesus Christ is the one and only one who can redeem our life, your life, anybody's life online or in this room out of the ashes of life. He's it. Quit looking at self-help books. Quit looking to other people. Quit doing your own plans. He's it. And God's Word makes that very clear. And that's what Micah meant by saying, in that day, declares the Lord, there's this one coming who will be the complete fulfillment of these promises. So in the midst of their chaos, in the midst of their ashes, in the midst of their broken walls in their lives, God comes and He makes some promises to His people. He didn't say, after you clean yourself up, then I'll see you. He said, I'm going to come right down in the midst of all this mess you've created. And he said this, what does he say? Three promises I want you and I to dig into in verse 6 and 7 in particular. And he says, number one, I will gather the lame. Now, who are the lame? That is the Hebrew people. That means to limp along. They are limping along in life because of the choices they've made. Have you ever been in a place where you've been limping along emotionally, spiritually, maybe literally? You see, God's making this amazing promise to His people. And He says, I will have a purposeful effort and I will gather the lame. I will come to you just like you are and I will gather you up. Even though you have done so much, you're just doing nothing but limping along at this point in your life. And that word gather emphasizes three things. So hear this. I hope you'll, if you'll hear nothing else, I hope you'll hear the promise of Christ in your life and my life if we will only trust Him. You see that word gather 
has three emphases to it. It means to bring to a common point. In other words, God is saying, you have been purposeless. You have been wandering around in the wilderness. You have created such an atmosphere in your life that you don't know which end is up and you're going everywhere but nowhere at the same time. Wow, that could be written today, right? How many of us are running in thousands of directions but going nowhere in particular? How many times have we got caught up in the trap of being busy, but busy with all the wrong things? Come on, myself included. And so God is saying, I'm going to give you my purpose back. I'm going to reinstall a reason worth living for. And that's what that word gather means. It means to bring you back to a common point, to the purpose of God. But it also means to bring, bring you back to himself you see, that was ultimately what the rupture was. And the problem was they had drifted away from God himself. Do we drift away from Christ today? The answer is yes, we do. Because if you don't pay attention to the relationship, you will drift. It's not if you will drift. And that's what happened in God's people's lives. They had drifted so far from God. And this loving God says, in the midst of your mess, in the midst of the ashes you have created, I'm going to come meet you exactly where you are. And I want to draw you, if you're willing, I want to draw you back into an intimate, life-changing relationship with me. That's what God is promising. And number three, that word gather emphasizes removing you from something that has been controlling you. In other words, your past. Here's the thing about the past, your past mistakes and my past mistakes, is I don't have to let the past define me in Christ. I, I don't have to be chained by my past. I can actually grow from my past, the mistakes I make and the choices I make that aren't the best that I've made. And God doesn't say, you're defined by the mistakes of your past. He says, actually, I'm going to come right in the midst of your past, and I'm going to show you how to be free from the slavery of your past. That's some great promises, considering that God's people had been drifting and messing up for over 50 years. It's not like they just did something wrong yesterday. They had been piling up this mess for a long time in their life. And so God is coming to them and says, I have a purposeful effort in the midst of your ashes, in the midst of your pain, in the midst of everything that you've self-inflicted on your life. I have this effort. But he also says, I want to give my personal presence. Now notice the second promise. He says, I will gather the what? The lame. So you got to be honest first. This is a freebie. You got to be honest enough to know when you're limping, right? Spiritually, emotionally, whatever it is. You got to be honest enough to know that you've got a limp. And you're just limping through life because you've drifted away from God, away from Christ. So when we have those moments of honesty, we can begin to experience the second promise. And God says, I will assemble the exiles. Well, the exiles are the people that don't have a home anymore. They had their security in Jerusalem and the walls and everything they had built up. And, and the false prophets had said, everything is peaceful and it's good. And then bam, it's not anymore, right? Is that life? Doesn't life do that? Just when I think I've got it all under control and things are rosy, wham, something happens. And God says, right in the midst of all this, I'm going to come to you and I'm going to assemble. Now, assemble is similar to the word gather, but it has its own nuance. It means to grasp or collect. And it refers and it emphasizes the process of assembling and rebuilding something, not something back to what it was, but something better. God's desire is to take you out of the ashes and create what he intended in the first place, not get you back to what you were, but back to what he intended. 
And that's the emphasis of the word. And it also refers that nothing of value, it emphasizes and denotes nothing of value will take place without God intervening. Christ is your hope, my friend. Whoever you are online or in this room, Christ is your hope. So quit acting like other things will be because it will never work. And ask yourself, whoever you are, ask yourself, is what I'm doing working? You know what? Most people have a moment of honesty if they'll ask that question and say, you know, I've been pretending things are working and they're not. But God is saying, I will come to you. Now, this is God's part. Now, stay with me. You're going to kind of freak out over this next one, but stay with me. Value grief. What? What do you mean value grief? I didn't say like grief or like pain. What I'm saying is value it. Because has anyone in the room figured out a way not to go through grief? If you're a parent, too late. <laughs> if you wake up in the morning and get up, too late. We're going to experience pain and things in our life that's going to be a reality. According to the Bible, I'm not making this up. This is what God's Word says. You will experience grief in life. The question is, are you going to allow that grief to drive you away from God? Or are you going to allow God to use it to draw you closer to Him? Are you going to get bitter and angry at Him and say, I'm walking away? Are you going to allow Him to use and bring good out of the worst of times in your life, the hard times, the painful times, and do good out of it? You see, the, there is a value in grief. I don't say like it. That's, that's weird. Don't like, don't pursue grief, certainly. But we can value it when it does come into our life. And according to God's Word, it will. And that word grief literally means breaking into pieces. You had a moment in your life where you've just broken into pieces? Are y'all awake today? Come on. <laughs> Certainly. Myself included. I finally get to the end of myself and my plans and how I think I've got it all in control. And then life just happens. Something I don't control like I thought I was happens and I break apart. That's good. Because when I truly own my brokenness, you know what happens next? I'm going to realize I can't fix myself, much less fix anybody else. And so I've got to allow what only Christ can do in my life. And that is to use my grief to draw me in closer to Him instead of allowing the pain of my grief to make me drift even further away from Him. And, and, and that is, is such an important key to our response. But it ultimately calls for a response according to these verses, verse 6 and verse 7, where God said, here's my personal effort. I will gather the lame. And He says, here's my personal presence. I will assemble what you have broken and I will lead you to a something that is much better in you and through you. But he says, you've got to value this because if you notice in the Bible there, if you look at the verse, God allowed the grief to happen. He let them walk right into it. Why? Because he, he knew that's the only way we're going to learn, right? Come on. He knew that there was, that's the only way that God's people would wake up. And then finally, we see in this last part, I will, the third promise in two verses in the midst of their chaos, he says, I will make the lame. There he is. He's calling them lame again, limping along. I will make them what? My remnant. Now we've seen that word before. The word refers in this case historically to the leftover people who survived the Assyrian attack on Jerusalem and they made it out alive. 
But it's much more than that in the Bible. You see, the remnant is a people of God, that, that group who is choosing to live differently. And in this case, it emphasizes that they are recommitting their faith to God. Once again, they could allow the, the, the grief to either drive them further away, and some did, no doubt. Or they could allow the grief to draw them into Christ and see their need for Him and to see the good that only He can bring out. <clears throat> and so it calls for a response. And that response is to a deeper faith in Christ. Quit playing on the sidelines of faith. Come on. And get in the game, so to speak. Take that next step, step in your relationship with Christ. Recognize whatever the reality is and recommit to Him, even today, even right now. Make a decision you're going to recommit in your faith to Christ in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the pain. It also emphasizes a willingness to follow Christ. It's not what you know, but what you do with what you know that matters. And Christ did not just say, know me like the idea of me. He said what? Follow me. Follow me. That's what's going to change life. But here's the amazing part. When I look at this whole thing in verses 6 and 7, what I see is the grace of God. Because does God owe us any of that? Did He owe it to His people? Absolutely not. They're the ones that created the mess, but God says, I'm going to meet you right in the middle of your mess and do a redemptive work that only I can do. The question is, will you let me? The question is, will you place your faith in me and follow where, where I am leading? So, so God's word is clear, and I, I'm camping out on these two verses. I'll move a lot quicker because he's making some amazing promises in the middle of their chaos. What does that mean to us in relation to Christ? Three things. Number one, rely on Christ. Quit relying on self. Rely on Christ. Quit relying even on other believers to be your Messiah, because they're not. Quit being your own Messiah. Let the Messiah be the Messiah. Learn to rely on Christ each new day, one day at a time. Number two, don't waste your grief. Take the pain of life, whatever that is, and, and say, God, I don't know, this hurts, I don't like it. I don't prefer it, who would? But God, I know you can bring good out of the worst of times. I know that when I am weak, you are what? That's right out of the Bible, by the way. I'm not making this up. It is God who's strong when you are weak. He can do the best of work in your worst of times. But you've got to choose to value the grief. Don't waste grief. And number three, renew your faith in Him. Meaning, take that next step of faith. Don't just like the idea of Jesus. Actually follow Him one day at a time. One faith step at a time. Even when you're scared. Now in James... Chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, you'll see it on the screen. You've heard me refer to these verses before. God's Word in the New Testament says basically the same thing that we've just looked at in Micah. He said, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever. Notice he didn't say if, ever. He said whenever. So the assumption is trials will come. Whenever you face trials of many kinds. They come in all kinds of colors and fashions, many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith... You know in Christ that the testing of your faith produces what? Perseverance. And let choose, that's a choice, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. 
So God's word is saying, I've got a good work to do in the worst of times. Are you going to let me? Are you going to choose? Now look at verse 8, and I'm going to move, pick up the pace a lot quicker. Look at what he says. He's now referring to this Christ Messiah and his role in our life. If we will only choose to place our faith in him and follow where he leads. And he says, as for you, watchtower, love these, this imagery, watchtower of the what? He didn't say of the city. Isn't that interesting? He said, watchtower of the what? The flock, the sheep. Bah, you know, we've already been down that road. We're all sheep. So he says, watchtower of the flock. And then he says, stronghold of daughter of Zion. Zion, another word for the people of God, Jerusalem. In those two words, watchtower, specifically the word watchtower in this text in the Old Testament language is referring to a fortified tower on the east side of the wall of Jerusalem in that day and time. And it was, it was located in very close proximity to the temple and the temple mount. And the temple represented, if you recall, the presence of God, not just a building. So the, 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 the goal, the, the role of the watchtower or those that were in the watchtower was twofold. Number one, to warn you of an approaching enemy. You would see them first up on the wall and you would warn everybody within the city that the enemy is on his way. The enemy is coming. But number two, the role of the soldiers in the watchtower was to protect the city gate. They would be located near the gates. The, the gates were the weak points of your defense, right? And so their role was to protect. Now, he's talking about the role of Christ in our life. And if we will trust the sovereignty of Christ in our life, you know what he'll do? He will warn you. He will warn you of the choices you're about to make that are not going to end so well. He will warn you of the enemies approaching into your life that you'll be aware of. He will give you discernment. He will warn you. But he will also, look, listen, protect you. Protect me from what? Sometimes myself, sometimes the culture, but he will protect me. But then he says he's a stronghold. That means the one who rules or has the power to rule. Christ has the power to rule, but he wants you to submit to his rule. He wants you to trust him and his sovereignty over your life. And when we will do that, we will choose to follow Him. So we've been asking the question, He's able, He's willing, but am I? Are you willing? I mean, come on. Are you willing to really place your faith in Him and follow where He leads? So let me ask you this question. In regard to your past, whatever your past may be, your grief and whatever pain you're in or may be in the future, are you enslaved by your past or are you allowing Christ to cause you to change and grow from it? You see, I've seen both. Have you? I, maybe I've been both. I have sometimes seen people allow their pain to push them farther away, isolate and go into their cave. And that's a sad place because that's not going to help. That's, my, that's going to be worse. That's a darker place to go, right? Come on. How many friends have we seen do that? Maybe we've done that. But we can make the choice as a follower of Christ to let the pain, the grief be what it is and let God use it. In faith, one faith step at a time. Let Him use it to make me stronger, to make something good out of the ashes of life. Let's look at the last part of the story. Because he, 
describes this redemptive work in some imagery and detail that I think is pretty phenomenal. In verses 9 through the first part of 10, we see a people that were left without hope. Their, their city and their security was being ripped out from under them. Their lives, again, were a pile of rubble and ashes. But yet, here we are, and they are feeling hopeless. How do I know that? By the very imagery, he says, Why do you cry aloud? They're crying aloud. Have you no king? The answer there is no, they do not. Their king has been removed. Their leadership has been removed. And he says, As has your, has your ruler perished, the, that pain seizes you like a woman in labor. The word ruler means one who gives good advice, wise advice, good direction. They didn't have any direction. And he compares it to the pain of childbirth. The closest I've ever come to that is kidney stones. And I don't want anything to do with it personally. I've done it four or five times. That's good enough for me. Thank you very much. And so he's comparing it to the most intense kind of pain. So that's where the people of God were. They were in this intense pain that they can't, we can't even begin to fathom. And he says in verse 10, Wreathe in agony, daughter of, of Zion, like a woman in labor, for now you must leave the city. So you're being pushed out of your home and you're going to have to go live in the fields. And not only that, he's predicting a future enslavement when he says you will go to Babylon. That's going to be a future thing that they're going to experience because of the choices they made. And I love this. Look at it close at the end of the story. After he says, here's what's going to happen. It's not going to be fun. It's going to be painful. It's going to be like childbirth. Then look closely at the end of verse 10. He saved the best last. For last, look at it close. Look at what he says. You see it? It's two key words. There. He says it twice. L listen. Look at what he says. There you will be rescued. And then he says... There, the Lord will redeem you. And he's talking about being freed from the enslavement of their choices of what they've caused in the wreck of life that they have caused. You know what I love about those two words there, or the one word actually repeated twice? I don't have to clean myself up to know Christ. He comes to me right in the middle of it all. And good thing, because nothing changes if he doesn't. He comes to me. So if you're with us today online, especially, or even in this room this morning, and you're thinking, God can't possibly love me for the choices I've made. God can't possibly care about me. Let me say unequivocally to you, my friend, if you believe what's in Scripture, the answer is you are dead wrong. Yes, He can, and yes, He does. He comes smack in the middle of your mess and only He can make a difference of the mess. Only He can do the redemption of work that we all need desperately in our life. I don't care who you are today. He is the one. And He doesn't say, get yourself fixed before you come to me. He says, I'm going to come to you there right in the midst of your enslavement in Babylon, there in the midst of the mess you've made of your life. I'm going to come to you. This is awesome. He's going to come to you wherever you are. He's going to come meet you eye to eye, whatever the circumstance. And if you'll let Him, He'll redeem your life from the ashes. But you've got to let Him. You've got to choose to allow Him to do that. I love this story I ran across this week, I don't know many Pope stories, but Pope John the 23rd, 
years ago. He was a pope a long time ago, quite a bit, a few years ago. He, the day after Christmas, went to the worst prison in Rome. And when I say the worst prison in Rome, this is almost like an Alcatraz, if you know the history of Alcatraz in our country in San Francisco, it's where you sent the worst of the criminals. And so he didn't just go to a prison, he went to the worst of the prisons that you could possibly go to. And a pope had not visited a prison at that time in over 90 years. It had been a long time. So he decides to go to this prison to be a point of light and encouragement to these men, to these people that were in this notorious and dark place, this prison. And I love what he said to many of them that as he was greeting and talking to the prisoners, he said, I knew you could not come to me, so I came to you. You're enslaved and in prison. You can't possibly come to me, but that doesn't matter because I'm going to walk right into the prison of your life and I'm going to come to you. You see, that's Christ. Christ has the willingness and the ability to redeem whatever happens in your life, to bring the good out of the worst of times, to bring value out of even your pain and your grief, he has a willingness and an ability to do so. That's not really the question. The question is, what are you and I going to do with that? Are you willing? He's willing and able, but the question is right back to where we started. Are you willing to take the journey with Him? Because sometimes, my friend, listen, God will lead you to the mountaintops, but sometimes He's going to lead you through the valleys. It may be the mountaintop of the valley, but are you going to trust Him one day at a time? Are you going to choose to trust Him as He comes to you on such a personal, grace-based basis? Are you willing? Let's pray together. Father, Your, your Word is, as always, is just so powerful because it's true. It's inspired by You. You've recorded this story through people long ago that is extremely relevant to us right now. And Father, I believe it's even more relevant to some individual lives that I don't know the story, but You do. There may be some of us either online or on this campus this morning that are, are sitting, feeling hopeless in the midst of our ashes that possibly we've created or possibly has just occurred. But in either case, Father, You're willing and You're able to redeem our life from the ashes. The real question is, are we? I pray that whoever we are, if it's anybody here this morning that does not know You on a personal basis, that they'll come speak to me or others in this body and find out what does that mean to have that relationship. So that is their step. That, that is their placing of faith. But Father, there's others of us here today that have have that relationship with Jesus Christ, but somewhere along the lines, we have been drifting away from you. I pray, Father, you will convict us even now and that we will choose to re-engage. We'll become that remnant of your people that is willing to re-engage on a real life, day-to-day -day level, and not only believe in you, but follow where you lead. Even when it's difficult, even when it's through the valleys. Father, may we say yes to Jesus 
one day at a time, each new day. And it's in His name that we do pray. Amen.